Welcome, everybody. It's lovely to see you all here. Uh, just a reminder that if you're at the back, if you land up, if you suddenly can't hear or anything, just wave or come and tell David. He'll sort it out. He's really good at that kind of thing. My name is Liz, and I'm one of the pastors here. And a very warm welcome to those of you who are here in person and to those of you who are on Zoom. It's lovely, lovely to see you all. So I wonder, kids, um, well, everybody, if there's a piece of scripture which you really don't like, I, is there something which is just weird or, or you just kind of, you're inside you cringe when you read it? Is there something which when you've come across it, you've kind of went, oh, I wish that wasn't in the Bible. It's just horrid. Um, is there a, anything where you kind of go, this doesn't, this doesn't make sense? If there's a bit of the Bible you don't like, I'd love you to just take some time now to maybe draw a picture of it or to write it down and then to ask somebody about it, to go to your parents at lunchtime and say, hey, I really don't like this, is, this that it says in the Bible. Because one of the things about bits we don't like in the Bible is to remember, first of all, when we read them, that we do like God and God likes us. And so when you come to a bit in the Bible which you just don't like or you don't understand, it's worth stepping back for a moment and just saying, well, okay, I know God is a God of love and I know he loves me. So how does this all work out? What does it mean? So if you're feeling like it, you can go down that rabbit trail right now. Just, uh, just enjoy yourself. Go for it. Um, and then come and tell me afterwards all the bits that you don't like. Because actually what I don't like is the bit at the beginning of that James passage, which um, I just heard read. If, if, if it was up to me, I'd probably be inclined to kind of uh, tear it out. So let's, let's hear it again from the message. And a final word to you, arrogant rich. Take some lessons in lament. You'll need buckets of tears when the crash comes upon you. Your money is corrupt. Your fine clothes stink. Your greedy luxuries are a cancer in your gut, destroying your life from within. You thought you were piling up wealth. What you've piled up is judgment. Woo! Okay. To be honest, that kind of makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. It makes me feel really nervous because, to be honest, I've traveled the world. I know that I'm really financially, fiscally rich. We have more bathrooms in our in our house than people. I mean, you know, we've got a roof over our heads. We've got indoor toilets. We've got, we are rich. So definitely when I read that passage, it stops me in my tracks because that sounds like it's going to be kind of rough for rich people. And then it also says you arrogant rich. Am I arrogant? Well, maybe I am a bit arrogant. Maybe I do have assumptions and expectations about the way I'm going to be treated in this world because I'm so rich. So yes, I think this passage is kind of directed at me. So pause, deep breath, pause for a moment and think about that. What I'd like us to do is to just dip back a little bit into chapter four as we begin, have that kind of percolating in our brains and see how did James get to this point? Well, at the end of chapter four, it says this. He says, come now you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there doing business and making money. Yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. 
As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it commits sin. So James has kind of eased into this um, bit at the beginning of chapter 5 in a kind of lyrical way. It's almost poetic as he does castigate business owners and he does talk to them, challenge them about the ways they're accruing wealth. But then there's also this phrase about remember your life, it's like a mist. There's something very transient about it. And so he comes from that kind of gentler, slightly gentler kind of warning into this full-on Old Testament Ezekiel-style tirade against the rich at the beginning of chapter 5. And perhaps he slightly turned away from the church at that point, because most of the church at that point would have probably been quite poor. So it might be that even as he was speaking, he was kind of turned and said, okay, you're the poor, and there are the rich who are exploiting you. It's possible that that might have been the way that it turned out. But as someone who is pretty wealthy, I can't just ignore this passage. But there are a couple of things I can do when I come to a passage like this. And the first one is to remember to read scripture as a whole. And so this is one example of a passage which talks about wealth in the Bible. And we're not going to go into the whole wealth thing right now. I want to move on. But just to remember that there is a lot that is said about money in the Bible. And it's not that money per se is evil, but it's the attitude in our hearts towards it. And so James is reminding people, don't store it up inside your heart. Make sure that you are remembering that everything that you have comes from God. Remember to be a good steward. Remember to do all that is not yours. It's not something which you deserve, but it's something which God has allowed you to have. And so in this passage, James is definitely challenging the wealthy, but he also moves on to saying that our absorption in wealth is short-term, misguided thinking. And so James reminds his listeners, first of all, that wealth is transient. He says this, your riches have rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have rusted and their rust will be evidence against you. There's this idea that our wealth will pass and to keep that in mind at all times, to remember that the things that we're storing up are not forever, they're for a period. And he also reminds them that wealth always comes. And I think I'm right in saying always comes through the, on the backs of others. Whatever our ways that we've acquired wealth, there are always going to be other people in the chain towards us, towards us accruing it. And whether it's because there are people who are very poor who are making our clothes in, in far off countries so that we can buy them more cheaply. You know, there are lots and lots of reasons why we are wealthy. And so as he says, listen, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in pleasure, and you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Those are words we need to take seriously. They need words we need to remember. And quite often, this passage is one of many which is kind of referred to in a sort of social justice kind of context. And it's good for us to be reminded periodically that God says, be careful, be careful about wealth and be careful about how you spend it and be careful about how you accrue it. But James is using language that kind of batters and bruises us. There is no escape from their severity and clarity. But let's also just take a moment and breathe and acknowledge, yes, we are rich and yes, we need to take care. 
But then James does something which I thought was slightly unusual as I was reading this passage over and over again. He says, be patient, be patient. And James is really trying to set up a story here where we are able to see that there is wealth, but we need to have a perspective which is much longer than our own perspective. We need to have a this and now and not yet perspective as we consider the world we live in. We need to have a slower view of life. And I love the fact that James uses the comparison of a farmer because farmers have a particular way of operating. They operate within their context. And last week, Amy gave us this fantastic reminder of the, book, of the character of Gollum from Lord of the Rings and his two-mindedness. And what I'm going to suggest now is that we still need to have a two-mindedness, but that two-mindedness is a now and not yet, a now and not yet kind of thinking. So we need to be patient because we remember that our lives are part of a bigger story, part of an eternal story. And that there will come a time when Jesus will come back and he's going to judge. He's going to judge every single one of us. He's going to judge the whole world. James says it over and over and over again in this passage. He says, be patient, be patient. And isn't it true that so often our wealth is accrued through our impatience? So listen to what he says. He says, strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Jesus is going to come back and he is going to judge. He says, do not grumble against each other so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. Again, this reminder that so often when we're impatient, it leads to anger. It leads to impatience. It leads to grumbling. Have you grumbled recently? Have you taken a moment where you've just been mad about something? Think back to that moment when you last grumbled. Can you unpick it a little bit? To what extent was that grumbling the result of some form of impatience in your own heart, in your own life, in your response to circumstances or people around us? And then he goes on and he says, indeed, we call blessed those who show endurance. Like the prophets, he says, like Job, this idea of a resilience, enduring because you can see that there is an eternal solution. He says, be patient, be patient like a farmer. I love this example of a farmer. It's funny how even at the time, it would have probably been a very common example because people, they would have, even if he was preaching this or speaking it, they would have been surrounded by farmers. Most of them would have been farmers. But we actually understand about farming because it's such a, a universal kind of metaphor. And he says, be like a farmer, be harvest-minded. The whole purpose of a farmer is to get a harvest. And we want to harvest. There is a harvest we are looking for. We are looking for a harvest of people who will know and love Jesus. He says, weigh your lives upon that outcome, just like a farmer weighs his life upon the outcome of a harvest. Farmers have to see the seasons through. They have to put up with weather. And as Jesus said in his parable, with the wheat and the tares, you have to put up with all the things that happen around us. Farmers have to know when to rip up the weeds and when to just let them grow. Farmers are very dependent on the weather, on the rain, on getting, making sure that they get the right balance of sun and um, sun and water. There are things that they control, but there's so much that they can't control. How much is there in your life where you can control it and where you can't control it? Where you have to be patient even as you wait for the weather to change. The other thing we all know about farmers is that they are very hardworking. 
They don't just sit around waiting for the harvest. There's constant tasks. And so I think this call for patience, for a now and not yet mindset, doesn't mean take it easy, just wait. It's okay, Jesus will judge us one day. There's definitely a call to be deeply involved in the process of farming the farm. There are things that we call to do, tasks that we have to engage in, people we have to have conversations with. We are engaged as farmers who are working on the fields. Farmers are persistent. They wait because they have to, because the seasons don't can't be altered by their call. Giving up is pointless. Trying to rush things is pointless. And ultimately, as James says, they are patient. They keep on waste, waiting. They don't rush in and harvest early. They have to wait for the right time to do so. And Jesus' parable also invited patience, like a farmer, waiting, waiting, waiting. Amy sent me a lovely article this week by Wes Hill, and in it he um, was talking about the way that Gamaliel, the high priest, spoke to the council and the whole elders of Israel when the apostles came to him and they were preaching about the resurrection and everyone wanted to get really mad about it. And he said, just let it be, wait. If this plan or this undertaking is of human origin, it'll fail, but if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Again, he was just saying, be patient, be patient. God will triumph. Judgment will come. There will be the time when God will overturn the things that are wrong. Amos said, hate evil, love good. We are so challenged in our attitudes to the things around us. But as that passage concluded in verse 11, James also says, be straightforward. Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Patience is not passivity. Patience evokes strong words like fortitude and perseverance and resilience. It calls for our anger and grumbling to be softened. It calls for us to be transparent and accountable. So how this week could you cultivate patience? I think the first reminder is just this consolation that judgment will come and that this world is not all there is. This patience and fortitude can come by loving the people around us, by thinking the best, by hoping the best, by calling people in to their best. And by paying attention to the impatience within ourselves, when you feel it rising up, to question it, to ask what it is that's triggering it, to question whether it's because you're seeking something too quickly, too hastily, too impatiently, this week, can I encourage you to extend your worldview, to remind yourself daily about the promise of eternity, eternity and eschatological hope. Remembering that God is good, fundamentally good, and that whatever you're seeing around you, which is not good, is not of God. We need to keep our eyes on him. I'm so grateful that we have a God who does actually love the rich and the poor but that also we have a God who will come and who will judge. I long for the day when I see evil judged. And so there is another chapter. And this week, perhaps you can step into it 
in patience, reminding yourself that there is a longer view. Amen. Lord, will you bring to mind for each one of us those places in our hearts where we are impatient? Will you help us to cultivate a longer time frame, a slower outlook? Will you help us to be alert for the seasons so that we know when the right time is to harvest, when the right time is to weed, when the right time is to just simply wait for things to grow? As we're tempted to grumble and be impatient, will you soothe us and remind us that it is not ours to judge, it is yours to judge? even as we strive to see more of your goodness shown in this world. Will you help us to know our part? Grateful that we are part of your great work in this world. Amen.